Hello and welcome to the 17th episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate Liz Hansley. And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comedian Dr Kim Lee. We're bringing you the podcast because we know just how hard it is to raise kids in a technology-centric world and we want to help. What have we got lined up for this episode, Liz? Today on the show, you're going to hear a review of Paddington and we'll discuss a new inquiry in the UK into screens, education and well-being. But first up, we've got Paper Round, our regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out, demystify it, digest it, so that we can better inform your family's decisions about how you engage with devices. Today, we're discussing some research out of Saudi Arabia about gaming addiction and how it relates to anxiety, depression, and ADHD. You know, Liz, I don't know about you, but I love a good ADHD and gaming article. <laughs> well, I reckon I'm going to love this. If you love it, I'll love it too. And I just can't get enough of it. But most of all, the papers that we've been discussing usually come out of Asia or Europe. And today's paper comes from between those regions, mm. the Middle East. Yeah. So stay tuned. As Kim said, today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research out of Saudi Arabia about gaming disorder and a range of mental health conditions. Kim, why'd they do this research? Essentially, Saudi kids are stressed. Mm -hmm. The research has found that 75% of the kids um, experience stress, including 11% who had high levels of stress. Mm. And uh, 5% of those kids were addicted to gaming. They also reported that uh, gaming addiction was associated with higher levels of perceived stress in Saudi adolescents. Mm which raised concerns about the mental health of Saudi youth. So essentially, they thought there was an opportunity to sort of investigate a little bit more about these associations. Mm, yeah, and, and just the title of the article really fascinates me, the idea of linking one condition to others because everything's connected, really, isn't it? And you need to understand those connections. So yeah, how'd they go about doing this research? Well, really, it was a, a snapshot cross-sectional study mm -hmm. involving uh, Saudi teenagers aged 12 to 16. Mm -hmm. They essentially gave them a, a Google Forms um, okay. survey. Yep. And they were asked to do it with, with a parent. Um, they were recruited through links on social media. And they asked questions about, you know, where they were from, um, made sure that they were from Saudi Arabia, and they essentially gave them a, a, a number of different scales and um, did it in the, most importantly, the Arabic versions of these patient health questionnaires and yep. scales. Yep. So that's quite common, isn't it, that there are established scales that somebody has developed, tried, tested, had reviewed and so on. And so, and then other people can use them in other parts of the world or f for different applications. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's been converted into X number of languages. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that we do give a voice to this area of, um, in the world because, you know, I see them in my clinic and, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's nice to say, look, oh, by the way, there's a published uh, paper from here or yeah. uh, people are interested in this data, right. but we just don't see it. Yeah, cool. So what did they find? Well, interestingly, in this study, they suggested that around 62% of the kids that answered this survey were addicted to playing video games. Uh -huh. And 63% reported playing video games daily for a minimum of five hours or more. <gasps> five hours. And you think what you could do for your future in five hours? It's a lot of time. 
Yeah, okay. And what about on the connection to ADHD, what they find there? Well, they found that the independent risk factors for video gaming addiction included being younger, playing your game every day, hmm. playing for more than three hours per day, and playing multiplayer games, so playing online um, with your friends, and that's very common, right? Hmm. Also, they found that there was a, a correlation between higher video gaming addiction to the young people who had higher scores of inattention, anxiety, and depression, and that's essentially confirming a lot of the other research from around the world hmm. that there is a strong connection. For example, I published a commentary in 2015 mm-hmm. on kids seeking help in, in Singapore, mm-hmm. and the most common comorbidity was uh, ADHD and depression. Yeah. And so there's a lot of hypotheses and, I guess, theories around, oh, is it the inattention leading to more gaming or gaming leading to more um, inattention? It, I would say it goes both ways. Yeah, okay, right, because that's the question on everybody's lips. As soon as you hear correlation, you think, yeah, but what about causation? And you're saying that the causation goes both ways. So if you have ADHD, you're more likely to get some kind of addiction and that if you've got an addiction, that could feed your ADHD. Yeah, so if you're a parent at home, and this sort of gets to our, our last question, but let's jump to it anyway, how that can help parenting, what I'm hearing there, and tell me if I'm right, is that... If you've got a child who's got ADHD, be extra careful with the gaming. Exactly. Yep. And, and if, you're, if your child is doing lots and lots of gaming, keep an eye out for signs of ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got that one sorted out. We've solved all the world's problems. Good for us. But you said, you know, I normally ask you whether there's anything surprising about the finding, but I think you're going to say no, that this is pretty much in line with everything that we already knew. Well, actually, I thought that the 60-ish percent of kids addicted to gaming was really quite high. Mm, but that could be about the sample, couldn't it? Yeah, I think uh, there might be some bias there. If if you're recruiting people online via social media, your game is going to be there already. So there mm. might be some bias. And, and if your child doesn't play games, doesn't really use technology, is doing something else like playing soccer or, or something like that, then you're not going to fill out a survey. So, mm, mm. yeah, there might be some selection bias. Yeah. Will the finding affect your practice as a psychiatrist? Oh, most definitely. I mean, um, we live in a multicultural society here in Australia and it's always useful for people to relate to evidence findings Mm. and make a connection. And if I can Mm. make a meaningful connection by saying, oh, by the way, um, they have Arabic versions of these um, tests Mm. and they find out that kids who speak Arabic also have gaming addiction. Mm -hmm. So no one is immune. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been a great discussion. Let's move on to the next segment. Well, there were a couple of pretty interesting observations from Kim about multiculturalism and how we seem to keep on finding the same things in different countries about the relationship between gaming and mental health. The paper was by Nader Al-Rahili, Muhammad Al-Rifi, Issa M. Alkonain, Malak Aldakilala, Jamal Alotayim, Abdul Wahed Al-Zarani, Abdul Rahman Al-Shagi and Nuran Babad. And the title is The Prevalence of Video Game Addiction and Its Relation to Anxiety, Depression and Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder in Children and Adolescents in Saudi Arabia, a cross-sectional study. It was published in the Curious, that's C-U-R-E-U-S, Journal of Medical Science. Full details in the show notes. Now it's time for our movie review and Helen is going to tell us why Paddington is recommended for children aged seven and up. 
Hi, I'm Helen Cordina, and I'm here with some information from the CMA review of the 2014 movie of Paddington. I'll tell you what the movie is about and what elements led the reviewers to recommend the film for children eight and up, as well as some suggestions for things in the movie you might want to discuss with your kids. Paddington is a special bear who loves marmalade sandwiches and lives in the deepest, darkest Peru with his aunt and uncle. But when an earthquake destroys their home, Paddington is forced to relocate to London to try and find a new family to live with. The Brown family find Paddington alone at Paddington Station and reluctantly let him come home with them. Much to the horror of Mr. Brown, Mrs. Brown promises to help Paddington find his explorer friend, who might give him a home. Meanwhile, an evil museum taxidermist named Millicent finds out about Paddington and starts to hunt him down so she can stuff him and put him in her museum. When Paddington is kidnapped, the Brown family realise their love for the bear and must try and save him. The themes of the movie include kidnapping, loss of a family member, cruelty to animals and natural disasters. There is some violence, mostly perpetrated by Millicent. She tries to shoot Paddington several times, eventually succeeding with a tranquilizer gun. She threatens to cut him up with knives and stuff him, and she tries to burn him in the furnace, which he manages to escape. She also commits some violence against other humans, slapping her assistant in the face and hanging a taxi driver upside down, threatening him with a knife and throwing him in the water. In addition to the violent scenes just mentioned, there are some scenes in this movie that could scare or disturb children under the age of eight, including the earthquake that destroys Paddington's home in Peru, possibly killing his uncle, where Paddington is alone and scared at the station, where he falls off things, sets fire to the kitchen, and floods the bathroom, a scary image of an orphanage, and Mr. Brown's near fall when climbing up a building. There are some use of substance in this movie, including where Mrs. Bird gets the security guard drunk with shots of whiskey. As for coarse language, there are some expressions you might not want your children to imitate, like shut up, stupid, shut your pie hole, dung breath and bloody. Based on the well-known children's books by Michael Bond, Paddington is a funny and heartwarming film about being kind to strangers and learning that it is okay to be different. It is ideal for children over the age of seven. Despite the G rating, it is not recommended for under fives and parental guidance is recommended for children aged five to seven because of the violent and scary elements of the film. The CMA reviewer reported that a number of young children were scared at the preview she attended. The main message from this movie are that it's okay to be different and important to accept others who are different and that families should stick together. Values in this movie that parents may wish to reinforce with their children include kindness and being polite. The film also gives parents an opportunity to discuss how animals should be treated and the real-life consequences of poaching. 
Paddington is available on a number of different streaming services and the CMA reviewer recommends it for children 8 and up. Parental guidance for 5 to 7 year olds. For children under 5, best to find another movie. There is a more detailed review of this and hundreds of other movies on the CMA website. And when Helen talks about the CMA website, that's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You can find the reviews by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab and then you can sort the list or search by title alphabetically, by age suitability, by classification or by date added. All of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development and they cover every G and PG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002 as well as selected M-rated movies and some pre-2002 ones that are available on streaming services. The website also has reviews of game-style apps and apps that may appeal to young children. Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to join the CMA Facebook community, which is facebook.com forward slash Australian Council on Children and the Media, all one word. More details later on how to keep in touch and give feedback. Now it's time to have a chat about our policy development of the day. Liz and I are going to look at an inquiry that the UK government recently announced into screen time, education and wellbeing. Liz, I see that the UK government recently announced an inquiry into screen time, education and wellbeing. What does that mean for the government to have an inquiry? Well, it's not strictly the government, it's rather a committee of the parliament, uh, which means it'll have representatives from different parties and not just the government. These are an important tool for parliaments in our parliamentary democracy system, in the Westminster system, because they enable parliaments to find out just what's going on out in society and how they should be changing the law. So they're very, very broad-ranging they are very open, they get a lot of feedback and input from the general community, both from ordinary people in the street, uh, experts, organisations, all sorts of people will make submissions. So they can be quite powerful, but they can also be hamstrung by party politics because you've got people from different party backgrounds trying to work together on these things. Sometimes they're amazing in the way that they can bring together different political perspectives, but It's also not unusual to have minority reports. So you'll have the majority of a committee says one thing and then one or or more members, they're in a minority, but they want to put in something different. So it can sort of water down the message a bit from them. I think it's also worth noting at this stage that the only thing to come out of an inquiry like this is a recommendation or a set of recommendations. There's nothing binding, so nothing will necessarily change as a result of this kind of inquiry. The government will state its response to the report and then it will decide whether to implement any of the recommendations as policy or legislation, but that's all way further down the track. And um, it's not at all unusual for governments to sort of pretty much ignore what comes out of a parliamentary committee. Why have they called for the inquiry? Well, as we all know, if we're here, we already know, but the parliament has noted that screens are an incredibly powerful presence in UK children's lives. They cited some pretty incredible statistics in the announcement of the inquiry. They said 99% of households with children have access to the internet. I mean, that's not terribly surprising. But here's some stuff that I found quite fascinating. By the age of eight, children spend an average of two hours and 45 minutes a day online. And by the time they're 12, it's five hours. 
that, that children spend online. Wow. Now, we're, we're not sure how that's measured. It might include educational applications and talking to grandparents on video chats and so on. But anyway, five hours on average by 12 years. So that, you know, that means that some children are spending more. Also, they cited the statistic that 57% of five to seven-year-olds have their own tablet. And 14% have their own smartphone. So that's children aged 5 to 7. Mm -hmm. 14% of them have their own smartphone. I found that a little bit shocking, personally. And 30% use social media. Now, remembering that you're not supposed to use social media until Mm. you're 13. These are 5 to 7-year-olds. A third of them, nearly, Mm. are using social media. So that just shows you what a powerful presence these things are in children's lives. Then they also cite numbers for kids aged 12 to 15, and by this time, the numbers are way higher. That's what you'd expect. But also, 31% of children in that age bracket had seen nasty or worrying content Mm. online. And that's still really quite young, 12 to 15. You're developing your independence and your own approach to the world and so on, but you're still only just developing it. You're still really quite vulnerable and so... The idea that 31%, so again, about a third, have seen nasty or worrying content is really noteworthy. Another stat is that the average age of first exposure to pornography is, what do you think it would be, Kim? Uh, 10. <laughs> okay, well, they say 13. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it was 10. Yeah. Well, that would be different countries and mm. different, different times maybe. I mean, maybe the age is being pushed up a little bit yeah. because you're getting just a different generation coming through. I'm not sure, but it, I mean, I have heard younger too, actually. But 13 even is a yeah. bit of a worry. Yeah. So the chair of the committee identified two particular concerns. And these, again, will be quite familiar to us. One is about the impact on children's personal and school lives, the sheer amount of screen time. And then that's something that we hear discussed quite a lot, this term screen time. And in fact, that's the term that is used in the name of this inquiry, screen time. So that signals that question of just how much time. And the other one is about content, and especially when children have unsupervised access to online platforms so that they're looking at what kinds of content are children Mm. encountering and under what kinds of circumstances. And when I give talks to kids in schools, I use the definition of screen time being it's the entertainment aspect Mm. of screens. If you are doing it for schoolwork and not alt-tabbing and changing windows in a a split second. That's a big if. Yeah, then it's considered Mm -hmm. screen time. Right, yeah. So what sorts of things will the inquiry cover? They'll be looking at the current understandings on the impact of screen use on children's development. Now, that's an interesting term, understandings, and I guess they mean the state of research. If you use the term understanding, you're talking about something a little bit more than just belief. So hopefully they'll be really focused on research. And there's other things about the announcement that suggest to me that they will be really, really interested in research. Uh, So that's good. They'll also be interested in understandings on uh, the impact of screen use on educational outcomes, on well-being and mental health. So basically four things, development, education, well-being and mental health. And that sort of pretty well covers at least a lot of what we would be concerned about. And it's nice to see they've broken it down that way and that they've named all of those things so that gives me some Mm. hope that they'll address them all fairly thoroughly and they're making it pretty clear that they want to hear from academics and researchers about all of this as I said which is a good sign they also want to know about what's going on in UK schools at the moment so they'll be looking really closely at that 
with things like digital safety education and how best to support schools and parents in managing children's screen usage. There's mention of a possibility of age-based recommendations, which would also be great. Um, That's just a really common theme that I keep coming back to in all this work that I do is there's not enough recognition of children's different needs at different stages of development. So anything that you can do that's age-based is really good. And there's reference to schools' reliance on outside companies for classroom activities. That's kind of buried in the um, terms of reference. And I think that's going to be kind of interesting because they actually give the name of one particular company. Now, I try not to mention particular companies on this podcast, so I won't mention the company, but you can probably guess what it is because it's known for providing lots of content for schools and supporting them, and it's probably great content and Actually, an old friend of mine is somebody who he's an educator and he's closely connected with this company and um, I have nothing but respect for him and the work that he does. And and so I'm sure there's lots of good that comes out of this, but um, it's also really good to see we've got a parliamentary committee looking closely at how Mm. that all works and and being a bit objective about it. And obviously it's going to change over time as well. And can you make any predictions about what will come from this? Look, not really, because as I mentioned before, so much depends on the party politics and leadership, and that's another really important part. Is there going to be one member of the committee who's going to provide really, really strong leadership on this issue? The fact that they have decided to have the inquiry is a really good start, but just how strong they're going to be in that and what's going to work out. And another thing that can happen is that you'll have a whole lot of recommendations just before an election and then the government changes or the particular person who is providing the leadership leaves the parliament for whatever reason. There was an inquiry in Australia a number of years ago that it was, I can't remember exactly what it was on, but it was um, very, very strongly led by what you might call a lame duck senator, you know, somebody who was not going to be coming back to the Senate. And so that person was able to really pull out all the stops and didn't really need to worry too much about his or her, I think it was a woman, but anyway, about that person's future. So that was a particular set of circumstances. What it means is that you get some really strong recommendations, but then, of course, they're just going to sit on on a shelf and collect dust afterwards. Yeah. That, that's just the way it is. So, yeah, very hard to make any predictions about this. But we can get some very strong recommendations. For example, in Australia, we recently had some really strong recommendations on gambling and um, there could be something similar here but then again the committee could be captured by industry or the interests that are Mm. ranged against uh, children's rights and interests and and that's something that is not at all unfamiliar in this area so we need to be aware of that. Now it's worth noting that they're already talking about wanting to make positive recommendations for harnessing the benefits of internet use and so on for children and that seems odd given their starting point. They start off saying, oh, we're concerned about children's you know, overuse of technology and their, their, the impact on their well-being. And now they're talking about, oh, we've got to harness the benefits. The language is about mitigating against negative impacts through education in school and safeguarding practices. So they mention school, safeguarding practices. They don't say anything about industry regulation or support for parents. Mm. So you've got to wonder whether there's some little seeds being sown there already. Yeah. But if it is a really good persuasive report, there's a chance it could be influential outside the UK, including in Australia. And that's the upside of the fact that it's relatively informal and it only makes recommendations. It means that those recommendations can be fed 
into processes is in other places. Yep. So if you have something that's really thorough, really well researched and has a really strong foundation, then that can be picked up in other places. And you know, people like you and I can use it in our advocacy. If yep. the UK Parliament is making certain recommendations or parliamentary committee making certain recommendations, then you know, that can be quite persuasive in discussion about the same issues in other places. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Yes, that's a wrap for episode 17. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch either through Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Outside the Screen Pod, all one word, or you can email us at OutsideTheScreenPod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction related on my website, cgiclinic.com, or even book an appointment with me. Or if you really like us, you can help by becoming a subscriber on Substack. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. We'd also love it if you could spread the word about the podcast among your friends and colleagues. Yeah, we'd love to uh, get more audience. Yes. So if you're listening on Substack, you can get a private feed of each episode coming directly to your favorite listening platform. Just click on the listen on button and follow the prompts. We're working on getting episodes directly on those platforms, so please watch this space. Yes. Maybe even by the time this comes out, we will have done that. Great. No, it's, you put so much effort into this. <laughs> and this, this has been, been the team, team from Outside the, the Screen. Screen. See you next week. <laughs>